0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Worldwide Hunting Community Podcast, your source for hunting news, updates, stories and all things across the hunting community. I hope everyone had a good whitetail season. I know I definitely did. Had the opportunity to harvest a couple nice freezer filler does and a nice 7 point with my son at the Boss's Ranch. It's always nice when our kids uh, you know want to go with us and enjoy the outdoors and you know share the passion with them. Speaking of youth hunting, if you're interested in getting your kids into the woods to hunt, I highly recommend signing them up with the Texas Youth Hunting Program. I'm actually fixing to pack my stuff up to help guide one here in Iron Ann this upcoming weekend for mule deer. The youth have to be between 9 and 17 years old, have their hunting license with appropriate endorsements, and their hunter's education course completed. While this isn't a free program, it's certainly affordable, and they they're almost guaranteed to be selected for a hunt on their first time. Now that whitetail season is coming to a close, my focus shifts from deer to predators and exotics here in Texas. Predators, hogs, and exotics have no closed season or bag limits here, which affords a year-round hunting opportunity. There are many varmint competitions all across the state this time of year, including the West Texas Big Bobcat Contest. The payout last year for first place was somewhere in the neighborhood of forty thousand for January, February, and March. There's still time to get your teams signed up. You have to shoot either five coyotes, five fo- or five fox to enter your big bobcat. So good luck to everyone that's who's participating in this event this year. Let's talk about some exotics for a minute. The Texas Texas exotic market has helped animals like the scimitar horned orcs or the Sahara orcs, which are extinct in the wild and are now thriving here, mainly on high fence ranches, but do often escape. So thanks to exotic farming and ranching, those animals will be around for many more years for everyone to enjoy. The Axis deer, or chital deer, are originally from India. These a- these animals are super weary, but they are a great tasting reward for any hunter who has the opportunity to harvest one. Now call me crazy, but I actually prefer Axis meat over whitetail. They do have a rich flavor profile to them. They're extremely common to see if you're down around the I-10 corridor here in Texas. And there are some around the San Angelo area, as well as other places across Texas. Black Buck Antelope are originally from India, Nepal, Pakistan, Oh, and Pakistan they are another exotic species that is absolutely thriving in texas and probably one of the most common next to axis for people to come hunt as far as exotics go i've had the opportunity to harvest one in 2013 at my friend's house in south texas i've had him mounted and my fiance named him matt for some reason my black buck was the first exotic i ever shot so i was pretty excited about it now granted he's no gold medal black buck or but a trophy to me nonetheless And the last exotic I'm gonna touch on would be a barberry sheep or audad as they're most commonly known here in Texas. They can be found almost everywhere in the state from Guadalupe mountains to the hill country and ranches in East Texas. I haven't yet had the opportunity to hunt one, but I've been invited to go on an Audad hunt at my friend's family ranch in a couple of months. Now let's talk about something a little bit controversial for a few minutes, that age old debate over over high fence versus low fence. Over the years, I've hunted, over the years, I've heard high fence hunting compared to shooting, or high fence hunting is compared to shooting fish in a barrel, a canned hunt, unethical, etc. Now, I grew up hunting Midwestern whitetails in Missouri and moved to Texas in 2007. Prior to that, I've never heard of a high fence. Well, after a few months of living here, I found out that there are game ranches that with thousands of acres here with giant eight foot fences. Now admittedly I first turned my nose up at the notion thinking it was hunting deer in a feeding pen which is most in most instances not the case and if you think about it these deer on some of the larger operations may never see a fence in their entire lifetime. Over the years I've gotten to know several people who run these operations and they have fantastic genetics on their ranches and have heard story after story of, we've never seen this buck on the ranch before, but we found him dead in an oak mott or laying under a group of trees while we were tracking another deer. Now this has always been interesting to me since I first heard about these instances. For the sheer fact that they have cameras everywhere and hunters almost every day, you would think this buck would have been seen at some point in his lifetime. And yes, in Texas we do do things a little different than everyone else. People put out feeders and keep a solid feed regimen of corn, pro- corn proteins, and minerals and water sources year-round. Both on low fences and high fences as part of their deer management practices. High fence isn't necessarily to keep the deer in, but instead keep the deer with inferior genetics out, as well as put a curb in poaching. Because, hey, let's face it, people don't think right whenever there's a 200-inch stick. 200 inch whitetail standing along the roadside. We've all heard horror stories about that guy who poached a deer off the side of the road or who climbed across a fence to get that deer without going through the proper channels or asking for permission first. Plus if you have a lot of money invested into your high fence operation you want to protect that investment as best as you can. Some of these ranches spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to build their catalog of animals. Now, there is a downside to high fence. When a disease strikes, it's more than likely to wipe out a herd. You cannot get into the Boone and Crockett book or Pope and Young. You will get bashed a lot more for hunting on a high fence by our own people due to lack of knowledge of the subject, and some people will tell you it's not real hunting. But at the end of the day, you still harvest an animal that you're quite proud of. Now, let's talk about the low fence free range hunter without feeders. There's a lot to be said about this hunter. He takes a lot of pride in watching his target buck grow from one season to the next until he deems it mature enough to harvest. He has skillfully and strategically placed his stand, knows exactly when and where the buck is going to be at any given time of day, no matter what the weather condition or moon phase will be. He wakes up opening morning, whether that be archery, rifle, shot or shotgun. He sits all morning, and the deer gives him the slip from now until season from now until the end of season and fills his freezer with those only to find out the guy down the road poached it off the neighbor's property the day after season ended brokenhearted and frustrated he carries on and pursues another buck for next season and gets it done sometimes it happens that way sometimes we get it done and sometimes we get it done as we planned and that's why it's called hunting not shooting right that's what the chase is all about low fence free range deer with feeders the first thing you'll hear is there's no challenge to that. You basically got these deer on a timer. Well, deer do deer things all the time, and some days they don't show up, and some days they do. These deer are very well fed, generally produce great antler growth and healthier offspring. Out here in West Texas, the deer don't always get the valuable nutrients they need, both in the spring and summer, or pre pre and post rut. So a lot of people feed them to ensure they get the nutrients to produce a healthier herd. This type of hunter spends just as much time as the low fence free range hunter, watching his herd and planning his strategy. The only difference is, is, instead of hunting a standing food plot or near a bedding area, he's hunting them near a couple hundred pound capacity feeder. He still runs into the same problems as the lo- last guy of poaching and the same issues of high fence hunters of possibly never seeing his target buck, but he does afford him one. This does afford him one. O- advantage he knows whether it's a 20 yard or 100 yard shot or whatever distance he's comfortable with at whatever legal harvest method he chooses a deer at some point in time is going to stop and give him a broadside shot during that sit whether he shoots or not is completely up to him now you can do the same thing with a food plot that's an acre two in size but there's no guarantee your target deer will come within range and that's why that method appeals to so many it's the thrill of the encounter, not just the thrill of the harvest. Now, with all that being said, I have hunted and continue to hunt all three of these methods. At the end of the day, whether you're for or against high fence or feeding regiments, we're all hunters. Instead of beating each other to death about our preferred harvest method, whether it's these three above or shotgun versus pistol or traditional archery versus crossbows versus compounds or rifle versus muzzleloader, we're all on the same team. The true enemy are the ones that try to take our hunting rights away, not each other. Thank you guys for listening, and remember, take someone new hunting with you every time you go into the woods. Stay safe, shoot straight, and may your future hunts be successful and rewarding in more ways than one.